The opportunity that, that we have as social pros to go up and tell our leaders, this is the information we're getting. Here's how it can help you do your job better. It, it, is a, it is a constant dripping process where you don't just say it once and then walk away. You've got to keep coming back. Anna, I love this idea of serial entrepreneurship. Dan Phelps is a great guest this week and shares so many amazing insights, not just this one, but especially in this time with COVID-19 and with us all having to do different things, having to be extremely nimble, what Dan has been able to accomplish with his team, but also using social insights and bringing them up inside the organization so that they can use that as real-time insights to make business, not just marketing and communication decisions, is so powerful. It really is. And I think one of the things that we'll really see in this interview is that Dan's really unstoppable curiosity, his passion to learn, to grow, to have those insights, to dig deeper is really what's keeping him and his team thriving at Wells Fargo. I mean, I think it's the understatement of the century to say that they have a lot on their plate right now, um, but they are managing it. They are responding, they're thriving. And Dan talks a lot about why they're doing these things, but also I think really behind it, Adam, as you mentioned, it's that, that curiosity, that serial entrepreneurship attitude. I think so. And I think that's one of the reasons that Dan has had such success in this industry. He came from T. Rowe Price, where he had a, a very small team, which a handful of people, and now a team of, of 40, uh, not including the 7,000, you know, kind of dotted line type of people in the Wells Fargo organization that rely on he and his team for for, for, for work. It's, it's, it's really a, a great story and, and aspirational for, I think, so many of our listeners and, and myself included. Agree. And I think we should absolutely hear from him. But before we do jump into our interview with Dan, we wanted to let you know about a fabulous new ebook available from Salesforce. It's Boost Sales Productivity, Get More From Your Sales Team. While there's no silver bullet for any sales team, now more than ever, you need to make sure that your sales arm is operating at maximum effectiveness and efficiency. And you can do that today with just two words, automation and integration. See how these two principles can change your sales organization, what can and should they stop doing, and what activities do you need to double down on and ramp up? Find out by downloading the ebook now at bit.ly go for sales. That's B-I-T dot L-Y-G-O-F-O-R-S-A-L-E-S. Dan Phelps, head of social media marketing for Wells Fargo. It is a pleasure to have you on this week's Social Pros podcast. Thank you for uh, for joining us in what has to be a pretty busy and trying and stressful and perhaps some sense of optimistic optimism type of uh, type of time as we record this here in May 2020. How are things on on your end and with your uh, team of social professionals there at Wells Fargo? Yeah. So thanks, Adam. I really appreciate it. And um, Things are going well. You know, I think right now uh, we are in day 64. Um, we count those days from our first COVID-19 post that we did back in late February. Um, and so it's it's been a long run up. We, uh, I, I would say that for us, um, if you will, if you take our curve analogy, we were definitely working 
probably close to 12 to 15 hour days for most of my team. Um, weekends, everything. I mean, it wasn't, there wasn't a break, but that's because the virus wasn't taking a break. So we wanted to make sure that we had the communications um, available for our customers and for our communities when they needed it. I would tell you that more recently, um, we've been getting a little bit of a break uh, as I think you're seeing both a little bit of um, normalization of the communications. So we've been able to find a more of a groove across not only our teamwork operationally, but also I think our customers are getting the communications that they need from us. So they're starting to at least um, understand our, our cadence, which is, was really important to us. When we, one of the things that we, when we started through this crisis, we really wanted to make sure that we could build expectations through our social cadence. And I think that has really helped us to sort of get to a rhythm where we are now. Um, I mean, again, taking us 62 days to get there, but I think that we're, we're getting there and um, the things are starting to get a little bit better. Dan, one of the things that, that really kind of impacted me and made me really think about your business and especially kind of with where you sit was the fact that several weeks ago, we were, we were scheduled to, to record yeah. uh, this podcast and at, you know, with the last minute, you, you know, very, you know, totally understandably had to, uh, to back out because we were in a situation where I think the small business administration was running out of money and you needed yes. to create a communications plan for that. The reason it hit me was because it, it made me realize the number of different audiences and how all these circumstances can impact you. When I think of, of, banking, I think of retail banking, I think of my ATM, I think of my checking account, I may think of my home loan, or my, my, my auto loan, but the recognition that you have all these other key, you know, constituents and customers of the business mm -hmm. and the industrial sectors, it made me really kind of begin to recognize, how do you deal with all those different audiences? And have you structured your organization into kind of those, those clusters or is it all hands on deck? We've got to figure out kind of what's happening and, and talk to and communicate with everybody's as a group. Yeah. So let me, let me take those in, as two questions. So, um, so first thing I'm going to do is focus on, um, you know, what happened as, as, during that period. So what we'd like to think always, and just for people, you know, to understand what, how financial services, social works, um, but we'd always like to think that our brands are communicating instantaneously. When they see a post, they, you know, the brand team just posted that today. For us in financial services, there's certainly a number of different governance um, programs that we have to go, legal folks, compliance folks that we have to talk to in order to make sure that what we're posting checks all those boxes from a marketing and advertising point of view. Um, that takes time. So when, when I called you up and said, hey, things are breaking, the SBA looks like they're running out of money. Um, I think a number of people hoped that it was going to be a little bit more protracted. Uh, we, were gonna, we were gonna be able to get more, more folks through the process. Um, and when, when we found out, it was definitely a little bit of chaos on that day. And I finally had to pull the plug and say, hey, this is more important. We gotta take care of our customers first. Um, but interestingly, um, yes. So from your perspective, bank, ATM, and that's how you sort of envision the bank. The, we certainly, 
PPP, the Paycheck Protection Program, was designed around helping small businesses. The SBA actually tags the small businesses, anybody making up to $10,000 in, in an incorporated business. So small business can mean very small. Um, and it includes people such as your influencers, or people who have you know, their own gigs, or gig economy folks. And it really broadened the scope of people who considered themselves their own small business. So that made it really interesting for how we had to bring the, a more wide variety of people together than just, let's say, our middle market or our industry folks. Um, when, so I'll get, bring it back to the organizational structure. Historically or theoretically, when we would go in and, and say, you know, we have a small business communication, I we would bring together our small business team. That team has has grown slightly to make sure we have additional voices in the room, so we aren't aren't leaving somebody behind. Um, we we created a what we called a tiger team. Um, it's, it turned a what was originally about a hundred and some odd people on a call down to a 40 person team who could move more quickly. So as these changes were happening, and again, remember 40 people might sound like a lot, but we're also talking about, you know, 40 people across a 1600 person marketing team, you know, this now part of public affairs. Um, when I used to do this, that a similar role at T Rowe price, where I, where I started social, um, that, that group was about, 18 people. So we're actually doing, if you took it by ratio, it's 18 for, for 6,000. We're doing 40 for close to a quarter million. We're, we're, we're doing, we, we cut it down a lot. Um, but the, but the net net of that was we were getting some posts out in 45 minutes, which was almost unheard of. Um, and we were having really good conversations that allowed us to get to the end game more quickly. Um, and, and really at the end of the day, that was the goal. I mean, we didn't need to make sure that everything was perfect. You know, you, there was always that saying, like, don't make perfect be the, um, you know, the enemy of good. What we really understood was that our customers and our communities needed to hear from us. So we set up a structure that would allow us to get to the, to the uh, as right an answer as we felt was appropriate at the time. And then make sure that we got those those responses out. And it was also a very big change for us as a marketing organization, where my my team, in addition to managing a public social presence, also manages a, a great deal of advertising that we do on the channel. Um, the groups that we brought together, we were communicating um, really as, as social does. And for many of our marketers, that was a bit of a change of pace because there wasn't really a true CTA or call to action. There wasn't, um, we weren't asking you to invest in a product or service. We were just trying to give you, give our customers information so that they knew that we were with them in this fight, even if we didn't really have anything else to convey, but we wanted to know that, hey, we are still here with you um, because we wanted to make sure that everybody was going through this for the, through the, Wow, going through this for the first time, and we wanted people to make sure that they knew that their banks were with them. It's it's crazy to be in all of this uncharted territory all at the same time, all together. And I love hearing you talk about that because obviously, you know, having to get information out there as it's coming in and as you're learning and then putting it out, you also 
had mentioned moving a lot faster in order to have to do that. But you also mentioned legal. And I think a lot of times when we talk about social media and we talk about legal, legal tends to get a bad rap because obviously, mm-hmm. you know, we see them as the holdup and I'm using air quotes for everybody listening. Um, but how has your, your relationship with, with legal changed? How have they adjusted their process? How have you adjusted your process to work with them? Because obviously you're having to get information out as you're getting it. So what does that process look like now? Yeah, so that's a great question, Anna. And I think one of the things that we did that was really critical as we entered into this phase for the for the firm was we chose one legal custom contact, basically. Um, we have a, a, a team member who sits in St. Louis. Uh, he checked everything that we were doing. It gave us a single point of contact through legal to, in order to get a yes or no. Um, again, much of our communications weren't product and service oriented. So we didn't have as many issues in terms of checking with FINRA, checking with, um, you know, val- validating for FTC regulations, validating for FDIC or, um, or other banking regulatory groups. So it made it go a little bit quicker, but where we did need to, we leveraged that individual to get to our line of business legal partners or compliance partners. So we set up a structure where we could move more quickly. So it wasn't just sending it into, let's say the legal mailbox and then waiting the 48 hours for them to assign it to somebody and then have us have something come back. Um, that was critical in allowing us to move forward because we knew exactly who we were talking to. That legal person saw everything. So they had the totality of everything we were trying to communicate, which gave them context for what was coming next and what came before. And that really helped him make sure that he knew what we were publishing and why. So we didn't have to explain everything, made things move a lot more quickly. Dan, that that speed topic seems to permeate everything that we're hearing from larger companies and organizations and and how they're reacting to to COVID-19. You mentioned something uh, that that wasn't surprising, but I want to kind of double click on that. And that is that your team manages a huge paid uh, social uh, marketing budget. And that you you, like many organizations, pivoted a lot of those messages two messages that were more around the, we're there for you, less call to action uh, and such. I'm curious kind of what that process looked like. And as you look towards the future here as we are in day 60 something, as, as you said, as we record this in early May, is there a point where you're gonna start to move back more towards those marketing type of messages less about the support and the branding and the overall you know, messages that are so important and, and endearing to, to you and your customers right now? Yeah, so it's a great question, Adam. Um, so a couple of things I'll, I'll, I'll sort of break apart for us in that, convert, in that question. Um, so our, our, spend on, um, our spend on social dark posting targeted placements for, for folks on social roughly is in the fairly high eight figure range, just to give you a frame. Um, that much of that is product and service advertising is designed specifically to elicit a response. It's designed to do what all businesses do is to try to make money. Um, we also, of course, we're in social and that's why we're on this podcast. So um, in addition to what we're pushing out dark, We've got to have a presence publicly because people want to know 
what we have to say about things. I think one of the most interesting rea realizations that we came to as we've gone through COVID-19 is that we could put stuff out dark. Um, we could put comments out targeted, but at the end of the day, if somebody wanted was a Wells Fargo customer and they wanted to know what is Wells Fargo saying about X, they're gonna come to our Twitter page. They're gonna come to our Facebook, our Instagram and say, what are they saying? Because there are all their posts. That they were coming to us. We didn't have to necessarily go to them. So publicly posting what what some, many of my peers call organic posting. Well, I like to say it's public because that's truly it's in the public domain, whether it's amplified or not. That content is the content that has been resonating with folks and that and that we are really honing in on. Now, the difference, I think, and this is where it's a little bit of a razor edge, is that we are, we have historically been able to post much of our public content without amplification. And that's worked pretty well for us. We've, we've seen great numbers and doubles and triples um, in the KPIs, what we would typically get for a, a standard post. We are edging now into testing, into looking at putting two or three messages out there and then amplifying the one that's resonating the most. Um, so that's, th that is an, an area where we are, we're, you know, historically have, have done that before, but not necessarily related to a crisis. And that's allowing us to test new things and new strategies to feel, or to, to, to understand how we can best engage our audiences and make sure that they have the information that they need. Um, so, so it's a, there's a combination of targeting. We certainly want to get back into the marketing that, that I think it, social has been so valuable for. But we also don't want to, if you will, flip a switch and goes, go from, if you will, marketing to communication right back to marketing. It's got to be a, a phased approach. I mean, essentially, as we are all going to hopefully get out of our quarantine spaces, it'll be a phased approach. Um, but we also want to make sure that we're learning from the, these last 60 or so days and say, where can we better engage our communities through this public information? Where do we amplify effectively? And where are we learning our better places to target information so we can best reach people where they are? So with all of these efforts going on, and even before all of this, just curious if you had been tracking sentiment from your audiences and seeing even from before to now, how things have changed, where people are at, what they're thinking, and, and how they're even engaging with you now and how that's changed. Uh, they're engaging with us. Yes, um, <laughs> <laughs> probably obvious question, but in terms of sentiment, uh, maybe yeah. not. Well, okay, so... So I'll, 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 I'll lay it a little broad because this is all public and anybody could go to our pages and see our sentiment. Um, I mean, certainly we've been under pressure since 2016. Um, you know, when you are the bank for one in three households um, and you have a unemployment, you have 30 million plus people filing for unemployment. I mean, the short math is that's 10 million of our customers. Um, when we uh, entered, you know, supporting the SBA and through the payment protection program, we immediately got, I think it's close to a half a million um, applications for intensive interest of, of, getting, of getting a piece of that money. And those are huge pools. And so, um, you know, for a bank, for any bank, whether it's Wells Fargo or anybody, we had to, 
you know, we were, again, as we've talked about Anna and Adam, we are, we're, we're, we're doing this real time. So we had to figure out how do we take the applications in? How do we work with the SBA? What's the process look like? Um, and I think what you'd see if you looked at our Facebook pages at our Twitter pages, you know, um, it was, it was a pretty difficult program because we're maybe as a, um, you know, well, I won't, I won't conjecture for others, but I'll just say for us, it was a lot of volume all at the same time with everybody having different expectations of what the process should be, but going through it for the first time. And that was a bit of a perfect storm for Wells Fargo. Um, I think the good news is for us is that I've got people on my team who have been doing response marketing for almost a decade. Um, we, we've got a team that can manage uh, our, our community from Charlotte to Manila, like I said, so that we have almost 23-7 coverage of our social channels. And we also work with, um, you know, and to supplement a, a social care team which uh, helps us manage our servicing oriented questions. And that team is probably another 50 people. Um, and so together, we are constantly managing the communication. We are all leveraging the same tool, Sprinkler, to do that and analyzing everything. So yeah, it's sentiment, negative sentiment has increased, but equally, I think we have done as strong a job as possible to try to be empathetic and answer those questions, not just let them sit there, um, and at least make sure that people felt that they were heard. So I think that's the most important thing. I mean, it, I look at social in many ways in that role as you know being the person behind our digital counter. I mean, there are the people who are coming up and saying, "Hey, I got a problem, um, and what are you going to do about it?" And I think, you know, part of our, our little. 40 person tiger team to manage this program. One of the things that we were adamant about is every time we make a move, we've got to have a Q&A so that we can help our response teams to manage it. Because if we're going to be using social to go out, we have to give those, we have to arm those teams with something to respond to. And I think that has been really helpful in making sure that we had the right answers. We had answers that were going to resonate and we were thinking ahead about what what people could ask and what their needs were going to be so that we could plan we could help them as they as they move forward through this process dan phelps head of social media marketing for wells fargo you just shared some some juggernaut numbers uh <laughs> the, the fact that one in three households in america is is a wells fargo customer uh, the fact that you have a team of dozens of social media practitioners that are that are working in this space. And you also mentioned analytics and, and how you're using social media kind of is that early warning radar or that ear that's on the, uh, on the train track. I want to talk a little bit about that because I think that is fascinating. And I'm curious how you're using social, social listening analytics, certainly, as you said, to provide social customer service to make sure you're responding to to customers and and routing uh, those those queries to the right people in your organization, but I'm curious one step beyond that, mm -hmm. if and how you're using social listening to to demonstrate uh, what's going on in other parts of the organization, what consumers and customers and even customers of your competitors may be saying about the 
banking space so that you can then share that information all the way up uh, to the most senior folks in your organization? So that is a great question, Adam. Um, and it's probably one of the um, effects or the byproducts, if you will, of being involved in this that I'm probably most proud of. And it certainly has gotten the most visibility. Um, Brian Wright, uh, who has been part of socialmedia.org since the beginning, um, is on my team and leads our social listening and intelligence team, um, has been helping us to position um, and bring forward the impact of our earned conversation to all areas of our firm. Um, he's partnered with our insights and analytics teams. He um, has brought forward um, insights that really have helped us change how we react and what we do. It's, what's, what's been great about it is between he and Jen Hyman, who leads our response marketing team, Every, the first question our leaders ask every time I'm on a call is what are, what are our, what's the conversation and what are you seeing in social? And the fact that that has changed how people would otherwise have said, okay, what's, what's the focus group say, or what are we hearing here? Or what's the research that, that, that you guys have, have seen? The first question almost unanimously is, Where's, what's, what are we seeing in social? And so I think that that has really raised the awareness that we can be a, a powerful signal for the firm as we figure out what we're, our next you know, move is going to be. Um, we, just to give you a, a sense of, of how we manage social at Wells from a listing point of view, we publish a daily report every day at 11 o'clock Eastern, um, which goes over not only the, the Wells Fargo earned conversation. What are the top three stories that are surrounding Wells Fargo today? We do a competitor analysis to look at what our competitors are doing in the space. And then we do a, um, a comment analysis to, to figure out what are, what's the, what are the, the key stories that are coming out from the comments that people are, are actually putting fingers to keyboard and typing back to us. Um, but through that process of, of, of these daily reports, we elevate at least the initial greatest hits, if you will, for the day. And then from there, we're able to sort of triage additional asks of the team to go deeper. Um, so we can leverage, we can find out if there are trends. So our real-time listening team really looks at the last 24 hours. We've got a deep listening team, which equally goes back and says, okay, Here's, what, here's a, a topic that we're interested in, in, in exploring more on. Let's go back, you know, three, six, nine, 12 months and, and look at how that conversation has evolved over time. Are we seeing a net new level um, or is this a little bit more of the same? And maybe we can take that as a awareness, but we don't have to jump on it. Um, so those are processes that we look at all the time. Um, we also leverage, you know, different... Um, artificial intelligence tools along with our sprinkler tools to try to figure um, or to learn more about the conversation. And then um, and we're also leveraging tools for competitive analysis. So it's a combination of things that comes together to make sure that we know the impact of what we are putting into market through social. And we can also see the impact of what our peers are putting through social or our competitors. Um, 
to make sure that we're not missing anything. That is some next level reporting. I rarely hear about organizations who have daily updates and reports like that. And um, I love it. It makes, my, it makes me so happy uh, today to hear that genuinely. So because you have all of these deep insights and you have this ongoing reporting, mm-hmm. how do you then fold that back into your channel mix? Because obviously you're on every single major channel and you have a lot to say. You have a lot of different, very diverse audiences. How do you then fold all those findings back into your channel strategy and start to differentiate who you're talking to where? Yeah, so it's a great question. So one of the things that we are, are actually evolving into, um, again, as the, as the world goes faster and faster, is um, pre-campaign analytics. So this is a little bit more on the campaign side, but what we will do is prior to um, initiating campaigns, prior to initiating efforts, we do have our, our deep listening team run a quick study. So many of our, our longer term researches, if you are involving focus groups, if you're doing deeper, deeper um, research to, to assess and validate a target, it can be upwards of six months. Um, my team can actually do a, if you will, quick and dirty um, in about three weeks. Uh, that, that, that would cover everything you need to really get your hands around to make sure, to just really validate is, do I have the right target? Um, are they talking about the things that I want to talk about? Is, the, is this call to action? Do we think it's going to resonate? Yes or no, based upon what they're, they're talking about. Um, and as you point out, Anna, we can leverage a wide variety of social platforms, even the ones that we're not in, to understand what that conversation is, how we can best involve ourselves in it, and in a way that that doesn't sound like we're sort of pushing our way into the conversation. So that that process that we go through um, is really the, one of the main ways that we help use social analytics as a way to um, evolve or uh, influence the, the the what we're going to put on social. But the other thing that we also do, certainly when we're we're in meetings and on a, on the dailies. Um, we have a daily standup as well with this 40 person team. We are, we are leveraging what happened that day in social the day before really in social and bringing that to the standups at the end of the day to say, here's, here's what the conversation is saying. How is that going to change or influence the steps we're going to make tomorrow? Dan, the success that you've had with, with social listening, I am sure did not happen overnight. I'm also going to assume that COVID-19 has had an impact on that. I mean, the, the immediacy of the data and the ability to, to then leverage that data. But I think what you're doing is probably likely envious of many of our listeners who are trying to create a social listening plan that can go beyond just using social listening to make social better. So I'm curious if there's any recommendations or tips that you could give our listeners? I know it's a little chicken or the egg. I mean, once you have that entire team creating these daily reports, it's a lot easier to to leverage them. But you've been doing this for for quite some time, both uh, at at Wells as well as T. Rowe Price. How did you get this whole culture of using social data embedded in these organizations? Yeah. So I hate to say that sometimes a crisis is the way that people say, hey, where can I find the information? Um, I joined Wells Fargo in, in 2016. Um, so 
literally right after um, settlement. So, um, and in many ways got, was, was uh, lucky enough to inherit this awesome team here at Wells Fargo. When we were at Tiro, we did not have those resources. We were a four person team. And while I had some resources through the product that we were using to manage social, it wasn't nearly what we do here with, we have two command centers, um, one in Charlotte, one in San Francisco with eight screens running a full boat of, of sprinkler analytics all the time. Um, it's, but I think what I would tell you, Adam, is that what's really helped us get visibility is the understanding that we can move more quickly. And it's a little bit of a sales process, like anything. I mean, I think I think what we always used to say back in the day with um, at socialmedia.org is that people in my role were serial entrepreneurs in large companies. I mean, we really we try to build businesses, and building a business in social, build, building the um, ability. Although it's not, it's a little bit maybe easier now, but I think there's still a selling process that has to go to where people say, Oh, social's free. It doesn't really do anything. Yeah. We got to do it. It's table stakes, but it doesn't really matter. And certainly, you know, anybody who's been there, been in this role since, you know, 2010 or around that area um, knows that we had to go through all of the fights with legal to say, one social post is not going to crater this firm. Um, we can actually learn from our people. And by the way, if we're not in it, that conversation's happening anyway. So we've learned how to sell social. And I think when we have landmark moments like this, whether they are crises or whether they're actually really great opportunities, the opportunity that, that we have as social pros to go up and tell our leaders, this is the information we're getting. Here's how it can help you do your job better. It, it, is a, it is a constant dripping process where you don't just say it once and then walk away. You've got to keep coming back. And eventually you will find, your, find a position where people see that information, they get excited by it, and they start to ask for more. And in many ways, that's where we are today. And they're asking for it all the time in all different directions. So, which is, which is awesome to be needed. Um, we're, we're trying to figure out a little bit how to manage it, even with the seven people that we have on our social listing team. Um, but it's, it, it is a process where we are providing massive value, we believe, to our leaders. And as anything happens, when, when you know you're providing value, you're going to lean into it as far as you can. So I think the team is really energized with where we are today. And the fact that we are able to truly help the firm with the information that they need to make better decisions. Dan, over the course of our conversation today, you've talked a lot about the amazing team that you have in place. Obviously, everybody from you know those who are directly responding to comments on social media, all the way to people who are listening and you know digging into those analytics. The forty-person tiger team supporting seven thousand people. I mean, again, these are like Adam said, just juggernaut numbers. What is a piece of advice? having to have it basically having to manage all of this in the middle of a crisis, what is a piece of advice you would give other leaders in your same situation on managing teams and helping them put their best foot forward and helping them lead the charge and helping them sort of be this calm in the center of all the crazy? 
well, I don't know if we're calm. <laughs> I, think, <laughs> I think we're trying to be calm. Figuratively um, speaking. Yeah. Appearing no, calm. So, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, so I, again, I'll, 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 I'll frame it from my perspective um, because I think we've got a, a different perspective, right? Cause we've got, like I said, we've got 40 people. Um, I'm, I'm, I've got people in Charlotte, Des Moines, New York, New Jersey, Tennessee, Chicago, St. Louis, California, Manila. I mean, they're all over the place. Um, one of the things that I absolutely do with my team is I am very present. I think any of them would tell you that. Um, I join each of my, we talked about the five COEs that we have, Anna, between social listening, response marketing, um, content, our distributed team, and also our publishing and, and governance team. I attend their team meetings occasionally. I'd make sure that they have opportunity, their teams have opportunities to talk to me in smaller venues. And I think making sure that you are present um, helps ensure that everybody on your team feels connected to the strategy. And that is the most important thing. It's when I think as leaders, we disappear, not, not purposefully, just we're doing other things. If you've got a team, you've got to make sure that you're connecting with them. And I think that's really for me and anybody who, you know, on our team will tell you, I mean, like, I love being with the team. Being at home is killing me because part of being social is like, you want to interact, you want to make things happen more quickly. Um, and now that we're back to an email world, it's, you know, you send something out, the server does its crank, it gets to the person, they think about it, comes back, it takes forever. So, um, we're certainly doing a lot more on Zoom. We're doing a lot more on the phones. Um, you know, I, I, it's not unnatural for me to spend 12 hours on the phone in a given day these, these weeks. So, um, but that's what's important. That's what's keeping us connected. And at any time, whether it's like, certainly when it, during crises, um, the connections that you have to um, your team are the ones that make sure that your team feels valued. And that's, that's really what I always go for when I'm, when I'm leading these groups. Dan Phelps, head of social media marketing for Wells Fargo. It is a pleasure to have you on the social pros podcast. Thank you for coming on board, especially in this trying time. But I think the wisdom and the insights that you have shared just as you shared about being a, a great marketing leader and just a leader in general during these circumstances is so appreciated by our, uh, our audiences. We wouldn't like, and we wouldn't be able to end a social pros podcast without asking you the two questions that have been asked of all, gosh, Anna, how many 400? What, what, what number are we at now in terms of Four, shows? 420, 400. Yeah. 422, 23. But who's counting? Exactly. Yeah, it, is, it, is counting. A, it is a large number. You are in a very uh, esteemed group of colleagues, uh, Mr. Phelps. But the first question that we ask you, you just, you just gave a great insight on how to be a great yeah. leader. But what is your one tip for someone wanting to become a social pro here in May of 2020? Yeah. I mean, I, again, Adam, I think I would probably answer it the very same way I just answered the question that Anna asked. It's really just, you know, you've got to stay engaged with your teams. Um, you know, especially if they are large. I mean, going from a single person shop like I was to a 40 person matrix team means that you're really counting on your leaders to give you their expertise. 
And, you know, to truly remain a social pro, I think you've got to be connected to those leaders so that you don't lose your edge. Um, I do a lot more management maybe in some days than I do, you know, the, the publishing and the analysis and the responses, which we used to do back in the day at Tiro. Um, it is a, it is a change. So if you truly want to become a professional in social and you want to have a big team and you want to do bigger things, what I would just simply say is don't lose your edge and don't lose your connection to your leaders because they are the experts. Um, and when you're hiring people who can, who can do these jobs, you want to make sure that, um, you're not losing your edge either. Um, because the last thing I think any of us wants to be who's, who started up back in the day, um, is to be seen as somebody who doesn't know what the latest thing is on Facebook or Twitter. And that's, um, you know, something that as somebody who really likes to be a learner, um, I yearn for every day. Well, especially with how much social changes every day. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, just staying on top of every aspect of it mm-hmm. seems overwhelming some days, but yeah, stay on top of it. Um, Dan, your last question, and I'm actually super curious about this. If you could have a Skype call or I guess now zoom or FaceTime, uh, with any living person, mm-hmm. who would it be? Um, so I thought about this one, Anna, and I think actually the person I'm going to pick may be a little bit different from your normal, um, responses. Actually, I'd pick Kelly Slater. Um, and so those of you who know Kelly Slater, he's 11 time world champion surfing. Um, he's my age. Uh, he's probably surfed some of the most scary things imaginable and he's one doing it. Um, he's reinvented himself multiple times, started his own clothing line. He's um, started the KS Wave company, who's, you know, potentially um, innovating on bringing inland surfing to a point where it actually is, is reasonable versus the, uh, the original inland wave pool in Allentown, Pennsylvania. Um, you know, and he's never satisfied with the status quo or giving up. I mean, he's, he's close to 50 years old um, and he's still winning contests. And, you know, I just would love to understand how he finds balance in, in a world that makes the, you know, it's so complicated. And, and I think as a Gen X, he, he thrives on that. And I want to find out essentially how he, he creates success in a complex world over and over again. I feel like you two would have an amazing conversation, especially based on your response about, never wanting to stop learning and always wanting to be on the edge of things and him also basically turning his entire career into that. I feel like you two would have some really, really good, (laughs) hence very deep conversations. Yeah. That sounds fun. And of course I've been surfing since I was like 12. So I mean, it's not not like I'm picking him out of the blue. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, even if you did, that sounds, I want to go talk to him now based on your sales pitch. So yeah, no, I think it's a great, a great choice. And I don't know, Adam, has that been picked before? Has Kelly Slater been in someone brought up? In the nearly four years that I've been here with Jay, (laughs) no, it has not. So uh, there you go. Gold star next to your name, Dan, for, uh, for that A a very eclectic, but very appropriate uh, choice. Absolutely. Dan Phelps, Head of Social Media Marketing for Wells Fargo. Thank you so much again for being with us today. We've loved talking to you. Oh, yeah. Thank you so much. It's been great. Yes, absolutely. And everybody else, thank you so much once again for tuning in to Social Pros. On behalf of Adam, we'd like to thank you today. Also, do us a favor. When you listen to this, leave us a comment, give us a review, uh, rate this podcast. We'd love to hear what you have to say so we can deliver more of what you want. 
Until next time, tune in uh, to the next episode and we will talk to you soon for what is hopefully your favorite podcast ever. Ever.